Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to True Restoration. Here is your host. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and on this episode, I'm joined by Father Michael Oswald. Father, it's good to have you back for Season 5. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. This episode is a zero episode and is free to all. To receive access to all Restoration Radio episodes, please visit www.truerestoration.com org forward slash radio and go to the member area on the menu bar to find out details on becoming a member. Well, this is episode zero of a new program that Father and I will be working on this year. It's based on a book called Tradition and the Church by Monsignor George Agius, A-G-I-U-S, and you can find this in the True Restoration bookstore. So if you go to our website, just click on press, and we've got really great prices because we uh, managed to uh, acquire the books for a very good price. So we're passing the savings on to you. However, of course, you don't have to read the book to follow along. That's the reason we have Father here uh, to help us understand this. And I suppose we want to let our listeners know a little bit about our, our writer. Um, Monsignor was born in 1873 in the uh, middle of the Mediterranean Sea on an island off another island. So if you know where Malta is, it's sort of in the middle of nowhere in the Mediterranean Sea. And then this is an island off the coast of Malta. He somehow ended up in the middle of the United States in Nebraska and was raised to the rank of Monsignor and wrote this book, um, Tradition in the Church. And it's, it's interesting, especially for traditional Catholics. We always talk about tradition, 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 and there really aren't that many books ab- about it. I suppose we, we sort of take it for granted, right, Father? That is true. I mean, even in the uh, um, theological books, uh, you know, that we had and studied in seminary and things of that nature, of course, it's touched on, but for the laity, really, it's, um, there's yeah, really nothing kind of um, very matter-of-factly and very succinctly uh, put out there for them to understand what tradition is, which is, I mean, this book is a wonderful thing for that. One of the things I found interesting when I was living in the United States, Father, is that we're surrounded by so many Protestants who, you know, are sort of banging on the Bible and talking about sola scriptura. And I think sometimes as Catholics, at least I just speaking for myself, I would defensively react by pointing out that there's lots of Catholic doctrines that are contained in scripture. But I think this book sort of right away addresses, even in the in the publisher's preface, the idea that wait, wait, wait a minute. Scripture is part of the tradition of church. That's, that's how this works. It isn't, it isn't the other way around. Um, could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I mean, I, I of course, living in now uh, stationed in the South, I'm surrounded as well by uh, Protestants and it is, uh, you know, the, the whole thing of, of sola scripture, you're right, is, is, is a, an ingrained mindset. And, you know, the thing of it is, is that very simply, you can say that, well, how did we get scripture? I mean, who, how did we, you know, how uh, was that uh, codified? How was that put together? And it was, it came from the church. It didn't come from, 
you know, directly like floated down from heaven itself, uh, all written down for us. It came through the church. And so certainly it's the, uh, uh, it is a part of the church. It is the church that has really has given birth to that, so to speak. And so that is uh, encompassing that of, tr- of tradition. So, you know, it is uh, kind of a, a fallacy, of course, to to uh, a bunch of the Protestant era to, you know, say sola scriptura, it's only scripture. Well, but you can always remind us of them is that really for almost what, 1500 years almost, uh, you know, none of the really the laity didn't have the ability to have scriptures because uh, it was just too expensive as to, uh, but it was the church who was the guardian of it and it was the, within the church's coffers, which in the, in the church's bosom uh, that scripture was had. And so, you know, our Lord specifically never said, you know, write these things down, never write this book. And he didn't say that. He gave it to the apostles, to the church, to preach, to uh, and it was then by inspiration of the Holy Ghost that the apostles were able then uh, to write down some things in that regards. But there was, as St. John says in the uh, gospel, there's many more things that were done and many more things that, uh, you know, it would, take, it would take many, many, many volumes of, of books to write these things down. But yet, how do we know those things? It's from the church. It's from the preaching of the apostles. So that's tradition in that regards. It's funny in that way you think about it, Father. We've almost scripture is almost a highlights reel. You know, it's our Lord picking picking sort of these 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 most teachable episodes. Obviously, there are many more miracles, and you know, sure, maybe there is a feeding of the ten thousand. You know, that we just we never heard about. He he chose to feature these things, and it's when you point it out that way. I I think you also latch onto a a quote that that's also pointed out here that. Our Lord did not commission the apostles to go forth and write, but to go forth and teach all nations. So, again, we live in that post-print age. We take books for granted, but we forget that for 1,500 years, you couldn't go down to your local bookstore and do what we're doing today, which is we're having a conversation about a book. We're telling people worldwide who are listening to us, by the way, you can order the book and follow along with us. This This just wasn't available to Catholics. I mean, especially much less in the times of the catacombs. You know, when you're saying mass by candlelight, you know, worrying that you might get uh, apprehended and killed, you know, a few minutes later. That's exactly right. I mean, it was, but I think, uh, you know, the at the crux of the matter, and I think this book is uh, a wonderful thing, but at the crux of the matter is that what is the, you know, what is the, it revolve around, what is the thing that is either rejected or is, is, is stressed? And really it's where does authority, where is the authority and who has the authority and for Protestants, of course, and for those, is that uh, the authority really relies in themselves. Is that, you know, because with the Protestants, is that, you know, sole scripture, but also they're the sole interpreter of that. Whatever they think and whatever they say, you know, that they interpret in regards to the scripture, then, well, that's truth. But then somebody right next to them, you know, can uh, interpret something differently of that same passage or those same truths in the, in the scripture, and it's now good for them. And that's why you have, like in the South here, I mean, you can, I call it, uh, you know, it's a Baptist row. It's basically on one block, you have, you know, five different Baptist uh, um, places, uh, and they all teach differently of everything. And so it's just a chaos. But yet, who is the, the authority? Of course, it comes from God, but it's given to, of course, the church. That's the authority. to, And there's within her that's you know, we are able to conserve, but also preach and teach and guide in the truth in Christ. So 
you know, that's, I think that's the crux of the matter for a lot of things is that general understanding, um, that tradition, uh, is of course, uh, the word of God, but it's the word of God through the infallible church, the Catholic church. You know, I think you, I'm, I'm just uh, imagining all the marquee signs for those Baptist church, father, you know, they have like the, the no Jesus, no peace, N-O, and then yeah. the, the K-N-O, do they, do they have a lot of, you know, funny sayings on these, on the marquees of these Baptist churches? Yeah, they do. I would drive by some of them and I would chuckle myself and say, yeah, that's, that's pretty clever. And, you know, <laughs> you can, you can see some, in fact, actually the, the book uh, quotes a great quote from St. Irenaeus. Um, and it's true. And, and uh, I'll actually read it. Actually, I thought it was pretty good. It says, uh, we must not seek the truth from others when we can easily acquire it from the church. The apostles in the fullness of their riches brought into it as into a depository, all that belongs to the truth. He who wishes may take from it the cup of life. This is the entrance into life. All others are thieves and burglars. For this reason, we must avoid them, love diligently what belongs to the church, and learn the tradition of truth. So, yeah, even even some of the Protestants, of course, will, will you know will touch on, on on truths and things of that nature, but they realize that they took it from the Catholic Church. Uh, that's the sole arbitrator of the truth. So, But I do chuckle when I see some of those signs because they sometimes are very clever. <laughs> it's sort of like PR branding for our Lord sort of thing that, that they're trying. Um, that right. that quote that Father read was from uh, St. Irenaeus's book, Against the Heresies, and it's from Book 3, um, Chapter 4. Father, uh, you know, we're coming into... Let soon, unfortunately, uh, fortunately, I was going to say, unfortunately, you have to have a good spirit about it. So fortunately, yes. we're going to have 40 days of self-denial. I'm, I'm very excited. It starts next week. And it's one of the earliest uh, Lent I've ever experienced in my life. My birthday traditionally always falls inside Lent. Uh, in fact, yeah. I've even had my birthday on Good Friday before, which was my most non-birthday non ever. And um, as, as Lent comes on, the world talks about Lent. Uh, the world we came out of the Christmas season. The world talks about Christmas. The interesting thing is, neither of these things are specified in Scripture. And I've heard of Protestants <laughs> celebrating Lent, and they celebrate <laughs> Easter at the same time the Catholic Church does. Where did where did Scripture tell them about when Christmas was, and where did Scripture tell them about? when to celebrate Easter. Exactly right. And uh, you can even extend that to so many other things. And even just like in specific theological words as well, like say the Trinity, um, you know, others were, you know, my process will use the word Trinity. Well, where does that come from? I mean, that comes, you know, the church is one who labeled, of course, Father, the Son, Holy Ghost as the Trinity, you know, the Trinity is in three and, but, all these, you're right, Lent, we're, we're, we're in Lent. Of course, you know, uh, the Protestants can say things like, well, the, the 40 days of the, of our Lord in the desert and things, and well, but that was that then imposed upon the faithful that everyone had to do that? Well, no, does it say that in Scripture? Well, no, that came from the church and the, from uh, tradition in that regards. And so uh, it is interesting how, uh, a lot of the things uh, that some uh, those who aren't Catholic will will do, and and like the uh, Lutherans even will, since we have an Ash Wednesday, a lot of the Lutherans will have a little Ash Wednesday service, and they'll actually put ashes on their forehead as as we do. And well, 
you know, where does <laughs> yeah, where, where did they get that? <laughs> <laughs> right. So I mean, it's it's we we certainly can look at these things, and of course, for us as Catholics, you know, it's 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 just obvious. But sometimes it's so obvious to the point where we're oblivious to it. Um, but yet, um, it's like, well, duh, how does you know why can't you <laughs> see that? But yet, uh, you you try to help us and, and throw those little seeds of truth, those little seeds of conversion, and say, okay, well, and kind of question them. It's like, well, where do you get that? I mean, where does that come from? And not in the you know, not in a uh, um, derogatory way or, or in charitable way, but you're trying to, you know, get them to see, like, wait a minute, all the things you're saying, which are, are true, but yet where does that truth reside? Where did it come from? It didn't come from Martin Luther. It didn't come from um, John Calvin. It didn't come from, you know, all these other heretics in that regards. It came from Holy Mother Church, the Catholic Church. And so it is in her bosom and her traditions that they have. And, you know, I, I, I like to say, you know, a broken clock is, is uh, right twice a day. So, you know, they can have some things that are right, but yet, you know, it's not the full, uh, it's not the work, it's not a working clock. It's a dead clock. And, mm-hmm. but yet where then can you fix it? Well, you fix it in, in the bosom of Holy Mother Church. So. It's true. And, you know, I think reading this book, Father, has really brought it home to me that we actually do as Catholics take it for granted uh, the traditions that we have, uh, it, it's it, in the way that a good family structure, you know, if someone's taught good manners, they're given a good education, sometimes they don't realize that not everyone else has this life. And I think mm-hmm. as we're building up towards Lent, I've been thinking about uh, Septuagesima, Sexagesima, Quinquagesima. Those all indicate that actually previous generations of Catholics were even more hardcore than we were. You know, if you read yeah. Dom Grange, they talk about, well, they used to go 60 days out. They used to go 70 yeah. days out. And we're <laughs> yeah. sort of trembling about 40. We're trembling 40. about 40 <laughs> days. And, and yet the church, even though she doesn't ask of us now what she did ask, she doesn't whitewash that. She doesn't say, oh, well, that never existed. She still has right. the names of the Sundays in place to say, oh, by the way, people prior right. to you were more hardcore. And if mm-hmm. you'd like to... You can still observe it. The church isn't going to say, don't observe it. She's already removed the Gloria. She's already in purple vestments. If you I, want to, you, you can observe that tradition. Uh, but it's, it's a tradition within a tradition, isn't it? You know, we're, we're thinking about Lent, and uh, the church is, is still already providing that teaching lesson. And I think sometimes, uh, and I laugh because we say we're traditional Catholics, but I think sometimes we're, we just don't, we take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. I mean, we have, there's so much in the church, uh, in her, in her teachings and her doctrines and her dogmas and her, in her traditions. And not only, of course, the, the, as, uh, you know, we've been said before, uh, it's been said before, you know, the, the tradition with the big T, of course, everything uh, rooted in divine uh, law, but also in the smaller traditions, like you said, like, uh, like uh, Lent and the pre-Lent and Sundays as we have here. And, and you know, those are the things that was imposed upon the faithful of, uh, at a time, but then the church in her, in her wisdom, uh, you know, allowed the, to it to be a lessened time of Lent. And because maybe, you know, as time, as centuries went on, we, man did get a little bit more soft as uh, things, uh, you know, became easier and, and naturally or physically in the physical world, etc. And so, but yes, I, I uh, uh, as far as Lent, even in Lent, in my first traditional uh, Catholic Lent, I mean that was really hard because <laughs> you're fasting every day, and and 
you know, that was a, a shock to my system because I realized <laughs> how weak and how, you know, how uh, uh, weak and, and uh, um, kind of uh, doughy, I guess you can say, I was before. Um, but, you know, that's, but at the church, you know, it was always the, the, the as she's called a mother, as she's always mothering her children, being stern when she has to be and firm and say, this is what we have to do. But, you know, for those maybe who can't do certain things or that, she's, well, you know, this is how it used to be, but we're, the church is, has the authority to say, well, not to delete it, not to say you can't do it or abrogate it and, and, and anything in regards to the line law. Um, but yet this, you know, is uh, what we're going to do now. And it's still penance, still mortification, but uh, it's still difficult, really. But uh, uh, you know, that's the authority of the church. I mean, that's in her tradition. That's because she is the arbiter of truth, all truth. Uh, you know, the pillar of, of faith is scripture and tradition. But yet that's the church's authority. That's She's the only one that can do that. And I think it's it's a good way to call back to your show from last season, Father Escape from the Novus Ordo, to point out that the Novus Ordo sect uh, does not follow the tradition of the church in this way. Obviously, in the, we have this established surgical season. You wear purple. It's getting you ready for Lent. Well, in the Novus Ordo sect, they're wearing green because it's, it's ordinary time or whatever they call it over there. But because right. tradition really doesn't matter for them. They're, they're like Protestants. They don't really care about tradition. Yes, I mean that is true. I mean they. Uh, um, it's almost like, um, I guess the mindset is uh, they're trying to find as many loopholes, I guess you could say, as they can to you know say how to get out of something. Whereas uh, the church is not to get out of something, but is uh, is to help us to get into something, is to be more holy, to be more um, you know, penitential, to be more. Uh, uh, um, obedient and, and submissive in that regards, but again, it, it falls down to um, kind of authority. Is that who uh, is the church? Is, is are we doing God's will, or are we just really just want to do our own will and just fit God into our own will? And you know, that's why the church is always there to step in and say, "Wait, no, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do it." Um, and uh, you know, this is why she's not, she doesn't compromise uh, in anything in that regard. Hmm. I, 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 again, you were alluding to small T and big T tradition. We're, we're going to get to that in a moment. I just want to linger on this a little bit longer. Uh, just talking about vestment colors. As I, I mm-hmm. suppose uh, another tradition that's helpful to both of us, it's helpful to you when you're getting vested to think about, okay, it's, it's red today. So it's a martyr or it's purple today, penance, or it's black, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a mass for the dead. Uh, but it's also helpful to us as faithful. We see you come out in that vestment. It gets us in the right frame of mind. And again, these are just things that uh, that you, you you could say, yes, we can just throw them out just like the Novus Ordo did. But the question is, well, why would you do that? All of these things have been handed on. They work. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Right. Exactly. And, you know, it's like with, you look at the, like the wearing of vestments itself, of course, that's, you know, the church. I mean, you can't. I mean, that's in script. That's in scripture as well. You go through the Old Testament and all the things that are. But like the colors, you're right, and and that is a representative of certain things. Like you said, the martyrs of of penance, of of sorrow, what have you. And the church has retained that and continues to retain that for. I mean, for the edification, for the further understanding of the faithful, further. Uh, 
um, uh, union in, in regards to the mass itself. And uh, but it's right sitting on tradition is like all the martyrs. You know, we're read, of course, all the martyrs. You're that's that's the the, the church. I mean, that's they're a part of the church. That is a tradition of the church is that we're we're commemorating uh, the martyr's death of that saint. Um, so. You know that that comes from the church itself. That's from tradition. It's there's, I mean, that's not in scripture solely yeah, in that regards, but it is the church uh, who has given that in that tradition. Now I, I, I want to go back to something you alluded to, Father. So you were talking about there's a distinction between divine tradition and ecclesiastical tradition. Could you tell us what that is? Right. Well, divine tradition, of course, is that is is the one that is strictly, of course. Uh, from God Himself. I mean, in, in either in words um, or um, it's from God itself, uh, and it could be again found solely in Scripture um, or or something of that nature. Whereas the ecclesiastical tradition uh, is belongs to the Church, and but it is uh, it is from the Church, of course, um, that is uh, an infallible Church, and so. You know, you have the uh, the origin, uh, you know, of those things. It again comes from um, the church. It comes from um, scripture. Um, but yet, there is a distinction in that regard. No one can change uh, divine law. I mean, man can change that. No one can change that when it specifically uh, comes uh, from that. And no one can change that. Um, but there are some things in ecclesiastical law and ecclesiastical tradition where the church has the, uh, in her wisdom, um, in the infallible wisdom of her, or given to her by the Holy Ghost, is that she can change or or, or make some um, um, adjustments, so to speak, sometimes uh, in that regards. Uh, but there is a there is a distinction in, in that regards. Um, but they are still uh, obligatory uh, in that regard. So when the church says it's obligatory, it's obligatory. It's uh, rather than again, it could be just laid aside. And so you do have um, some things that are fundamental doctrines of the church. Some things that uh, are are solely uh, that we know that is declared either you know, again through written scripture, like the Ten Commandments. I mean, that's there's no nothing of that. It's not just it's not the Ten Suggestions. It's commandment. It's, there's nothing you can't change that, um, but there are some things too, as are disciplinary traditions or, or traditions from the church, like like we said earlier, like Lent, uh, um, you know, like mixing water and wine in the mass and, and things of that nature, which are uh, obligatory but not uh, come from the church, but is not necessarily, of course, specifically written in, uh, say, uh, the Bible or anything of that nature. I heard you refer earlier to a term that I use as well, which is, um, again, this is not a technical term. I I, I couldn't see St. Thomas using big T tradition and small T tradition, (laughs) but it's funny. I think, I think that's something that makes sense to us as moderns. We, we understand, but I think what you were saying is that big T tradition uh, is some, is ecclesiastical and the small T, uh, sorry, big T tradition is divine, small T tradition, ecclesiastical. But the important thing to remember is they're both, they both have the same word tradition. So even right. if it's ecclesiastical, small t tradition, it doesn't mean you can just dump it because it wasn't given right. by God. Right. Right. It is. It is. Uh, it belongs to the faith. Um, and ultimately, of course, 
God is the cause of that. I mean, uh, God is the the uh, the root of all that. But again, as we said, and I'm sure we'll stress many times, is that it's that it is through it is the church who is given the authority then to interpret that, to to promulgate that, to teach that, and to uh, in certain things. And so, but yes, the the big T and the little T is always a I mean, I even heard that in Enelis Ordo, and which is odd because <laughs> right, you know, what traditions do they have? What traditions, in a sense, yeah. I mean, but uh, that is a it's, it's a good distinction. It's very simple, very but very uh, um, you know good uh, um, you know uh, distinction to make. But again, the key is is that they're both obligatory. I mean, it's not as if you can just you know get rid of it by yourself. Um, the church can like, with a little t traditions, and the church can again change some things or adjust some things, but, um, you know, like the, say, like the Eucharistic fast, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's an obligatory thing in regards to before Pius XII, it was, you know, fasting from midnight on, you couldn't even drink water and that, but yet he had the authority as, as the Pope, as the, as the Vicar of Christ to, to uh, um, make an adjustment on some things. So now it's three hours from food and one hour from, from drink. And so, you know, that would be something, but it is not as if you could just get rid of it and just say, well, you don't have to fast at all. Well, no. Um, so there's that interplay between uh, the big T and the little T, but yet it is the church herself who's going to make that distinction, not not us, you know, individually or personally, which if that were the case, then, well, we'd be Protestants. I think the author backs up what you were saying, Father. On page 12, he says, Traditions are based on a supernatural power and authority. This supernatural authority or power is itself a revealed truth. It must therefore be obeyed. He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that this, if a tradition is defined and solemnly accepted by the church, that tradition must be held as sacred and true, because the voice of the church is the word of God among us. If anyone rejects it, he rejects it at the same. He rejects at the same time the infallibility of the church, which is a revealed truth. He goes on to end uh, that chapter by saying, "Therefore, all traditions approved by the church must be respected and believed." And he gives some other examples. You know, the the ceremonies in the administration of the sacraments, the sign of the cross, holy water, other things. These are all traditions. You can't you can't say, "Well, that's a small t tradition." you know, holy water is not described in scripture. So, you know, I'm not going to use that. It's part of, you can't, right. you can't not use holy water as a Catholic. It's not, it's not a choice. Like right. I don't like this type of food. It's it's all part of, it's all part of the deal. Yes, that's right. And even, you know, that's uh, again, even as traditional Catholics, I mean, sometimes we, um, or sometimes I should say some have a, you know, are imbued with the idea that uh, you can, you know, just uh, kind of, because of the times we live in, somehow we can do what we want sort of thing. And no, we are still bound by the traditions. We're still bound by what has been handed down, what has been uh, conserved. Uh, we can't just uh, pick and choose. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we would call that, uh, even in the North Order, we call that cafeteria tactics. You know, they would just pick and choose what they want. Um, and I mean, certainly there are some choices that one can make, like uh, when it comes to things of, say, private devotions or personal devotions. I mean, not everyone is called to do 
everything, all the devotions, you know, the private devotions of the church that the church has and says is good. I mean, some have a devotion to um, more of a devotion state to the sacred hearts than maybe others. Uh, it doesn't mean, though, that you can just say, well, you just that's all wrong. It's not wrong at all. It's just that would be a personal preference, a personal choice. But other things in regards to just uh, the the traditions of, of well, like we said earlier, is like well, like you mentioned in the chapter mentions, you know, things like holy water or things of making the sign of the cross or just simple things um, which we have. You cannot deny uh, that that is wrong. You can't deny those things. You can't say that, you know, that's uh, I'm not going to do that because um, just because I I think I'd want to. Well, but that's these are things that Catholics do, and it's a sign of being a Catholic. And uh, I know, like when those times, sometimes when I go out to eat, even, uh, and of course, obviously, I'm wearing my clerics, and people recognize me as priest, but you know, but how many Catholics would go out to eat? And you know, of course, we say our uh, meal prayers and we make the sign of the cross. And how many Catholics uh, who go in Soviet restaurant and make the sign, of the, not being, you know, standing up and making a, a grand show, but doing that. And then I've many Catholics have told me that people will come up to them later and say, how wonderful that is that you pray, but they recognize you're Catholic. And as well, how well, we made the sign of the cross. Well, that's, the church, as a Protestants, don't make the sign of the cross. Um, it's the Catholic, it's the Catholic thing, so to speak. Um, but that's the in the bosom. That's the tradition of the church. It's a sign, an obvious uh, external sign, that one is a Catholic, that one is uh, believes in uh, our Lord, believes in the Trinity, believes, of course, in uh, the cross. So all these things are. You know, not just some frivolous, you know, little traditions, little things that we can do and know how nice we do that. No, these are things that are integral to the faith. And this is what the church, again, has provided for her faithful. Uh, so, again, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad our Lord instituted the church. Otherwise, we'd have to be on our own kind of figure things out. <laughs> <laughs> um we don't want to we don't want to dig too much into the book, uh, Father, because it's only the zero episode. But I know we were talking before the show, and you, you did want to talk about the constitution of the church. So uh, let's let's chat about that before we end today's episode. What did you what did you want to touch on there? Well, again, I think we even just t- touched on it um, briefly uh, before. Anyways, that we, you know, the church. Um, and this is the definition, actually, that uh, the author gives, and it's, of course, it's the, it's the standard under definition. He says, the church is a necessary and supernatural society instituted by Christ for the salvation of mankind. And then all men are bound to belong to the church under pain of eternal damnation. So it is, uh, it is God himself. He gave the church an, an internal and essential organization. There's an hierarchy, there's an organization there. And again, this is, uh, and I'm sure we might touch on it later at some other time, but that he gave some examples of elements of the church, you know, just the, which is, a, and the first thing is that the church is an unequal society composed of two classes, clergy and laity. You know, there's a distinction there. <clears throat> and I think that's a point, at least, that I sometimes come across as well, even, you know, in traditional chapels, that sometimes there's a, a lack of understanding of a distinction in the constitution of the church is that the clergy, um, there is a higher 
responsibility there, but there's graces and, and there's a, the church is not a democracy. Uh, you know, it's a monarchy, it's, but it's, there's a certain structure to it, which our Lord has made, which cannot be changed. Um, it is not as if somehow, you know, um, say lay people can do the things that the priests are supposed to do or have the responsibility of the priesthood. They're not called to do that. They don't have the graces to do that. And it's the priest in that regards. But it's something that man cannot change, that constitution. And, of course, you see that in Vatican II, that they're doing that and have been doing that in the constitution of the church is becoming now a democracy that when you walk into any Novus Ordo, and, of course, I had to deal with all the times, that basically, you know, the laymen run the church. Um, and there's a inverse of power and authority there. But yet, with the, the constitution of the church, is that that's a tradition that is instituted by our Lord himself, which cannot be changed. And, again, it's not that you know, every priest and or every bishop and priest, of course, is understanding that we the authority we have, we're not... We're not called, we're not supposed to uh, to lord it over others, but yet there is a distinction there, and uh, you know, with much responsibility, with much um, grace and things of that nature, it comes much responsibility for that. And I think that's a good point that uh, he he brought out. Um, but again, that goes. He was talking in a sense, I think, in trying to help others who aren't Catholic to understand that. But it's also good for Catholics themselves to understand that. And, even though we live in dangerous, difficult times, it, again, it doesn't absolve us. It doesn't give us the uh, authority or power to change the integral parts that we have given to us by our Lord, which is, you know, even the constitution of the church. So, I mean, I think that's just a good point for us to remind ourselves as well, um, which sometimes you, can be lost in these times. You know, Father, you, you were talking about the fact that the Novus Ordo has a lot of lay people running things, but, you know, sometimes I wonder if traditional Catholics haven't been infected by this as well. You know, subconsciously, they don't realize they're not paying the proper respect to the priest, and right. they they are acting in ways that would be completely, if you want to talk about out of tradition, <laughs> there's no tradition for ordering priests around by lay people ever. Right. <laughs> right. No, I, I and that's that's one of the things too. I I wanted to kind of make a little a little point too is that I that's something I do see. But you're right. It's an infection that, of course, that's the world's. Uh, but also, of course, the Norse Oro is, is a large part of that. But that that does, uh, you know, uh, touch on some uh, a traditional Catholic mindset is, you know, the the respect and the authority that the priest has. And again. Every priest, I know I would say that every priest and bishop would say the same as, you know, we understand we're weak and simple men. We understand that. But yet it is by the grace of the ordination, it is by the office that we hold, which is Christ-given, which is the, that uh, it demands respect, it demands obedience. Now, of course, uh, you know, there have been in the history of the church bishops and priests who have not lived up to that, um, you know, but... There's always, you know, there's been always been bad bishops and priests and, and since the beginning uh, in that regards. But yet, it doesn't take away the fact that one does uh, have to recognize the and respectful of the uh, of of the authority. But it, again, it's that it's that kind of um, gray air, grayness that the world and the Noah's Ordo, of course, has done to um, kind of blend the the, uh, you know, again, who has the authority? I mean, there is a hierarchy here. I mean, there's an order in heaven as well. And so there's a reflection of that 
in the church herself. And so, again, it's not, uh, I would kind of use this example with some people is that, um, you know, say I, for some reason, I were to say, you know, anyone who comes to the communion now, they must wear black. Otherwise, I'm not giving the sacraments. Well, you know, that, that then people have a right to say, wait a minute, uh, you know, where, Father, um, respectfully, but Father, where does that say, where do you get that? And, and that that's that's not right. But yet, if I were to say what the church says and say, you know, everyone who comes to the communion must be dressed properly, modestly, and, and, and you know, give, this is what the church has set down. Well, then, you know, I'm doing my duty. I'm doing, and, and then people have to understand and re, uh, respect that because it's not the man it's the priest who is who is the the uh teacher of the faith uh, so you know i think that's a, a good distinction right when when you run into that issue too father though i have to think those people it's not just about father oswald it's being it's being respectful to your to your fellow christians in the pew you know if, yeah. if you know <laughs> i i'm a man you know, I don't. I, it's it's easier for me if there's a veil covering really mm-hmm. pretty hair, so I can focus on mass. You know, uh, it's right. it's being considerate of your of your fellow Christians. But I think that that's the challenge as well. That where you where you're reading from the author right after it, I think is a, a really good quote as well. So you read the church is an unequal society composed of two classes, clergy and laity. The modern within us doesn't like to hear that there's inequality. Right, we keep right. going. Whatever right. power and jurisdiction the church has must reside in the clergy. Right. Power is granted to the clergy because the clergy is of divine right and origin, bishops, priests, and deacons. And right. then it goes on to talk about hierarchy, jurisdiction, etc. And as I said, we can talk about that in future episodes. But I just, I suppose I want to emphasize that, Father, as well, that we have to be really careful. We call ourselves traditional Catholic. We talk about tradition all the time. We have to really police ourselves and audit ourselves to make sure that we're not just using the word tradition as an empty letter, that we're actually observing it. And we're saying, well, what does the church teach? Not, you know, this is what I would prefer, because sometimes we still do that as traditional Catholics. We talk about preferences and but that's not the church doesn't care about preferences. The church cares about tradition. (laughs) This is what we've always done. Who cares about I don't care about your preference. Right. This is what we have. (laughs) Right. Yep, that's a that's certainly a, a you know a reminder uh, to us all because you're right that that infection of the well the whole rejection of authority uh, I mean that is just at the core of the world and the core of of um, the of course Vatican II and all of that but that does affect traditional Catholics and we have to be on guard against that and uh, we you know we know we know our roles and, and we all have integral roles. It's not as if the laity are, uh, have no role uh, to do. Or, I mean, it's, they have a, a responsibility, but it's not that of what the priest has. It doesn't have the same role as the, late, as the laity does. And so, but there is a distinction. It is unequal. And which is, again, you say that in the world today, it's like, oh boy, it's, uh, you know, those are fighting words, you know. <laughs> and, and, you, know you see that even now the blending of distinction between genders is like, well, they're even attacking that. So, you know, we live in a crazy time, but yet the, the, the anchor that we have for us as Catholics is the church is the, is the traditions that we have that we didn't have that we'd be awash with everyone else in the world. 
Well, Father, I, I want to thank you for your time today. Can uh, Tell us what's been going on in, in Alabama since we, we checked in with you last. Well, since we checked, actually, uh, uh, you know, being in Alabama is that uh, I'm, I'm in these, I'm kind of in the, not, I don't want to say the middle of nowhere, I don't want to say that, but I'm, as far as the Catholic faith is that, you know, I'm and basically surrounded by, in the States by uh, a lot of, you know, Protestantism, but yet I, there's pockets of Catholics throughout uh, the Southern States who are, are, are uh, starving for the faith. And now, actually, I go to, including Alabama, uh, I go to about six states now just to, you know, once a month to bring the sacraments and the catechism to uh, uh, pockets of Catholics throughout the South here. And uh, it's growing. There's many, there's people who are coming from the uh, Novus Ordo. There's some uh, Protestants who have, uh, are, are, are becoming catechumens now who are converting. And there's also uh, those from like the SSBX, you know, the recognizer this crowd who are saying how, how much of, you know, they're recognizing how terrible or how, what a kind of a, uh, convoluted theology that is, and they're they're coming to um, you know, embrace the sort of the conscious position. So it's it's kind of exciting, but at the same time, I'm I'm it's uh, you know I'm only one man, and it's kind of uh, kind of taxing don't, at times. Don't yet, don't burn uh, don't burn yourself out, Father. We need you. Oh no no no! I have uh, I I make sure I try to take one day a week to where I can you know my my recreation tends to be on the, that day. Uh, I like to take naps. So that helps. <laughs> <laughs> In, indeed, indeed. Well, Father, uh, thanks so much for, for getting through episode zero. If you have questions for Father, please write to tradition at truerestoration.org. If you have any questions about the previous episode, we can try to address it on the next episode. So today with episode zero, we're going to move forward with episode one. And as we said in the show notes, you'll find a link to how to purchase tradition in the church from us. We have um, a great price, but we have an even greater price if you're a member of True Restoration. Father, again, thanks so much for your time, and we look forward to having you on next episode. Okay, thank you. God bless you, and I will see you next time. All right. We want to remind you that Tradition in the Church is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail, M-A-I-L, at truerestoration.org. All of us here at member-supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful, or beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. 